The Doubter Who Became a Believer is the message title today as we wrap up this series on the personalities in John's Gospel. We've had a wonderful time looking at Stephen, at Paul, at, at uh, Barnabas, and Jesus, and many others. Today, one of the disciples who let doubt enter into his life. I think the climax of John is reached in this chapter, though there is another chapter. I think the climax is right here in chapter 20. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proved his triumph over Satan. You talk about a kick in the teeth. The devil really got a kick in the teeth in John chapter 20. The book of Genesis says that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, and here it is, because this seed comes to life again. He breaks forth into victorious life. However, the scene must be conjured up in your mind to be effective in your life. And the scene that is here is one of dejection. It's one of of great worry and concern on the part of the disciples. Their Lord had been scourged. He had been marched from one mock trial to another. He had been condemned to death by crucifixion. Think of their feelings, their, their hopes, their aspirations. All had been blasted through this act of crucifixion, the condemnation that had come upon Jesus Christ, their leader. Perplexity, I believe, literally overwhelmed them. That's why they were meeting behind locked doors. They were fearful, they were afraid, they were dejected, they were bewildered. It was a sad moment in the lives of these disciples. They had been with the Lord when he conquered the enemy, when he faced demons head on when he raised the dead to life and healed the sick. He, they had wonderful moments with him, great victorious moments as they walked with Jesus Christ. But a mob of unscrupulous men, by means of false accusations, had put Jesus to death. They were puzzled beyond words. Their grief seemed hopeless. It looked as if evil were triumphing over good. The whole universe to them seemed irrational, immoral, and meaningless. And I wonder if it isn't much the description of people that come to church sometimes on Sunday. Their hopes dashed, their aspirations lost, everything around them seeming irrational, if not immoral and meaningless. They were a sorry lot as they met behind those doors for fear of the Jews. But the resurrection morning dawned. This is not Easter, except that every Sunday is really Easter. That's why we worship on the first day of the week instead of the seventh, the Sabbath day. Because Jesus arose on the first day and the hopes of people were revived. The aspirations were revived. There came life in the midst of total hopelessness. And every Sunday morning when we awaken, 
We ought to awaken with that in mind. He's alive. He's alive. Because he lives, we shall live also. And no matter what defeats we have experienced, no matter what discouragements have come, Jesus Christ walked into that room even though the doors were locked. And he can do the same today for you. He can walk into your room, into your situation, and he can turn it around because of the resurrection morning. Jesus is alive. And he appeared to the disciples in that form. There had been a stone weighing several tons put in front of the door, but that did not stop the resurrected Christ. The Roman government had put guards in front of the tomb, but that did not stop Jesus Christ from coming to revive those hopeless disciples. The women found the tomb empty, the stone rolled away, the wrappings in position where the body once lay. It was a mystery indeed. And then the capstone, this appearance by Jesus in John chapter 20. He stood there in their midst. They did not have to go simply by what somebody else said. They had living evidence that Jesus Christ had indeed conquered the most hopeless situation that ever occurred in the history of the world. He was alive. Now, there are three steps in John 20 that we want to look at today. The first deals with the absent disciple, Thomas or Didymus, as he was called. I want you to look with me at verse 24 for our beginning point. Thomas was not with them when Jesus came, the absent disciple. Now, what was this night? Interesting that it was Sunday. It was Sunday night when Jesus appeared in that room and Thomas was not there. I don't know why. I don't know if it was Super Bowl Sunday. But is there not in this verse a warning for us? We have in our bulletin every week the statement where the Sunday schedule is seen, an appointment with God, 9 and 11 a.m., 6 p.m., an appointment with God. I wonder if it is for all of us, an appointment with God. The other disciples were there. Thomas was not. He was absent. He was missing. Hebrews 10.25 says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What day? The day of the Lord, the return of Christ. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It is a command in the New Testament to every one of us. Today is my 30th anniversary in the ministry. 30 years ago Friday, I drove away from Bible college completing 
That time in my life, I traveled 600 miles to Dayton, Ohio, and 30 years ago this morning, I began my full-time ministry, and I have been busily engaged in that ever since. I don't know how many sermons I have preached. I don't know how many places I have been privileged to talk about Jesus in 30 years, but friends, it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And I thank God for every opportunity that I have had over these 30 years. And I want to share with you this morning from my heart what I have found. I have found how much people miss who make an occasional, spasmodic, irregular appearance at God's house. Thomas was not there. There is a volume of material right there in one statement. Thomas was absent. And in that meeting on Sunday night, Jesus came alive when he had been dead. It was the most historic moment in the history of man, and Thomas missed it. I have seen that happen over and over again. I have dealt with people and I have said, were you in church Sunday? Oh no, I was so down I couldn't come. I have heard every excuse in the book. I don't think there could be a new one. I think I've heard them all. The one I liked the most was the alarm didn't go off. When I probed, I found out it wasn't even set. No wonder it didn't go off. He wasn't lying. He just said it didn't go off. Well, if it's to go off, it has to be set. Well, I'm so excited about Sunday, I don't need an alarm. I just wake up. Glory to God. It's the Lord's day. Miracles are going to happen today. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. Now I challenge you to find any promise like that having to do with the seashore or the mountaintop or the cabin or wherever. There isn't any. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there in their midst. There are blessings, I'm convinced, from God that only come in certain places and at certain times. And you will not find them anywhere else. You will not feel his presence down at the corner tavern you don't find him real while you sit hour after hour glued to the TV screen. Thomas pushed the whole thing aside when the disciples said, we have seen the Lord as utterly impossible because he was not there. Now we have a civilization, a generation of people who can't understand the miraculous. We have young people today 
who have not the slightest idea of what the inside of a church looks like. We have families who don't know what it means to sit together on Sunday night and let God speak to them and work in their hearts. And it's no wonder that we're seeing the problems we see because people have not been there when Christ made Himself known. They haven't seen a miracle because they haven't been there. They haven't seen a person saved by the power of God because they haven't been there. They haven't received the baptism in the Holy Spirit because they haven't been there. Look at Thomas. He wasn't there. And when the disciples tried to explain what happened, he says, in essence, it's utterly impossible. I will not believe, he said. Listen to me, folks. The schedule that God has led your leaders to set is for your good. And your responsibility is to be there. And Jesus said, when you are there, I will be there in the midst. And it is there that His resurrection power is felt. His glory comes down. Answers to prayer are numerous. And the glory of God fills the place. Hallelujah. We had to dismiss a member from membership as a board this week because he's divorcing his wife without cause already with another woman. And when dealing with this situation, I discovered that on the Sunday morning when I preached about marriage a few months ago, and I had the vows repeated at the end of the message. Do you recall? I had couples stand to repeat their vows one to another, and it was a very moving experience. That man and that wife sat side by side. She wanted him to stand. It was when they were still together and repeat those vows, and he refused to stand. He sat in this atmosphere of faith and encouragement and hope, and would not stand and take his wife of 20-some years by the hand and repeat those vows and pray with the pastor. And now the marriage is in divorce court. There's another woman involved and his membership removed. So it leads me to say you can be here in body but not in spirit. You can be here in front of me today and yet you're not here. You're not hearing. You're not letting God put His finger on the areas of your life that He needs to. Hear me today, my friend. This 20th chapter of John could be the most freeing chapter in your whole life if you'll just realize that Thomas wasn't there and because he wasn't there, he couldn't believe in a God of, of the miraculous. You've got to be there. I spoke at a convention here in town some months ago, and the speaker got up and he said a most unusual thing. He said, now let's be here now. And I thought, that's interesting. What does he mean? He said it again. Now listen, he said, I want you to be here now. And then he went on to say, so often we come, but we're not really there. 
So I want to say to you this morning, let's be here now. And let's be here tonight. And let's be here when that schedule says we have an appointment with God because Jesus will be there. Thomas missed the miracle because he was not there. God can't do much about that. He refuses to circumvent what he has revealed to us in the Word. I believe Thomas could have been there. But he chose not to be. The Bible says in Psalm 34, 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. It implies that there's something for us to do. Taste and see. I stood years ago on a Monday morning early at First Assembly of God in Tacoma, which is my home church, to see the smoldering ruins of their burned, beautiful sanctuary. I was pastoring at the time in Olympia down the road a ways, and that Monday I was flying out to Hong Kong for some missionary ministry. And arising early that morning, I learned that during the night, after the building had been closed and the people had gone, a fire broke out in that church and destroyed it. So I thought I'd better leave early and see if there's anything I can do to encourage Pastor Buntain. I swung off the freeway, went over to that site, and there I found the pastor and quite a number of his people standing looking at the smoldering ruins. Put my arm around my friend, Pastor Buntain, and as I did, I looked on me and saw people crying, weeping. Nobody was lost, nobody was burned. Gratefully, no one was inside when it happened, and I thought, why are they crying? It's just a building. And then it occurred to me, it was as though the Spirit of God gave me some truth. As I saw tears streaming down the cheeks of those dear people, God said in my heart, the reason they're crying is that it was in that building they met the Lord. It was in that building that they were baptized in water, It was in that building that some of them were married and some of them laid to rest, dear loved ones. The most important experiences of their life happen right there in that building that's now gone up in smoke. And I said, thank you, Lord, I needed that. And this morning I think of it in regard to Thomas, who was not there. No real experience, no real life, no real revelation because he was missing. When we really evaluate it, isn't it true that the most meaningful experiences we ever have are right here? Right here, when the Lord manifests his glory, when he heals the sickness, heals the disease, saves the sinner, or whatever it may be, it's right here where the most meaningful things in life take place. The appointment with God, and yet so often it's way down the list somewhere and we miss it. It wasn't really an appointment with God. It was if nothing else came up. Gloom had settled around these followers of the Lord. They feared at any moment the tramp of soldiers' feet might be heard and they would be taken away. So what did Jesus do? He said, I'm going to go right into the midst of them. I'm going to, go, going to appear right where they are. They're fearful. They're afraid. I'm going to come and appear to them. 
You've come fearful maybe, afraid, guilt-ridden, whatever the case may be. Jesus says, I will be there in the midst, a living experience with a living Christ. That's what happens on the Lord's day. If you're there, if you're there. Second thing is in verse 20, and it has to do with the joy of the disciples. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Oh, yes, he had come back to life. He walked right in a room with locked doors. What rejoicing filled the room that day. Now, what is the difference between the person enthralled in worship and the person looking at his watch waiting for the final amen? Because both are present. The difference is in, 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 is in experiencing the presence of Christ. That's the difference. In really experiencing Christ. Now, how do you do that? Well, I received a, lady, a letter from a lady who is not here today, so I feel free to read this. She wanted to help me in terms of letting people feel the presence of Christ. She said, I'm a spirit-filled Christian and have been involved in different charismatic bodies since I met the Lord. In this involvement, I've come to really appreciate the freedom we have to come together and worship God as His Holy Spirit leads in the meetings. She asked me how I would suggest we at CCC incorporate more Spirit-led worship in the services. And she gives examples, singing in the Spirit, individual psalms of praise, body ministry. She said, I truly believe that we come <clears throat> into that intimacy and a deep revelation of the love of God for us and a deeper love for our fellow brothers and sisters as we spend time together as a body in intensive worship. It's not frosting on the cake, but a definite necessity for the growth of the individual and the unity of the body. Do you feel, she said, as the spiritual leader of our church, that there is a need for a deeper and perhaps more time-consuming time of worship in the services, and what do you feel is the role of the people and the congregation in participation in this? Well, <clears throat> let me approach it from the negative first. When I was a young pastor, I found some of my people were going over to another church for a revival meeting that I was hearing some conflicting reports about, so as a shepherd, I thought I'd better check it out myself. My wife and I went over. I think it was a Thursday night to attend. We had nothing on our calendar. Thought it would be a good thing. Sure enough, there were some of our people there. We sat as inconspicuous, in, inconspicuously as possible so that we wouldn't hinder anything. We wanted to really observe what was going on in this place where supposedly revival was breaking forth. I sat back and I counted everything that went on. There were two messages in tongues, and then three with interpretation, and four, and then five, and then six, and seven, and we got up to eight. And not one leader in that church had reminded that congregation that Paul said, there shall be two, and at the most three, in any service, and that by course, that in order. And it must be for profit. So my spirit was grieved, and other things were happening during that service that I could not rationalize 
according to my understanding of Scripture. Now, here's the point. There were people who were saying, now this is really worship. Now, this is really revival. Do you know what happened? The day after that, evangelist left that church. That church split right down the middle. Half the people went and started another church, leaving the debt of the building program to the other half who stayed. Now, I don't care what church you go to. That ain't God, friend. And that wasn't worship. That was noise, and that was a lot of hype, but it wasn't worship. Now, that leads me to the positive. You don't need 35 choruses to get into worship. If you don't come into church with an attitude of worship, there isn't a whole lot that anybody can do to get you revved up to worship a God who redeemed you, who healed you, who provides for you, who watches after you, who takes care of you every day of your life. What is my response to the letter? It's in the last part. She said, what do you think is the response or the need of the congregation to be here and to come ready, period? If we only have time for one chorus, oh, let it reach God because we came prepared. If we have time for 30, let every one of them mean something. And if in the course of the service there is a message in tongues and an interpretation, praise God, but let it mean something because we've come prepared in our spirit. They rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Now get this point. You could have messages in tongues and prophecies. You could have 40 minutes of worship so-called. You could have the finest music and everything else and miss the whole point. If Jesus doesn't reveal himself, it's lost. It's hopeless. It's meaningless. Totally meaningless. Unless Jesus reveals himself. Excuse me for yelling. I am so fed up with people having to feel they've got to dance and do this or do that or sing a certain song or have a certain length of service. God doesn't care as long as Jesus has an opportunity to show himself alive in that place. That's what's in the heart of God. Notice what the psalmist said long before you were born. In Psalm 16, 11, in thy presence is fullness of joy. It's not in the midst of a 50-minute song service or whatever. In thy presence is fullness of joy. Come prepared. When you slip into the sanctuary, slip in with a heart that's already reaching heavenward. Oh God, bless today. Bless those who worship around me 
God, help me to bless you in my attitude and in the way that I honor you today as you come to meet with us in this place. Oh, I tell you, friends, if we would recognize the power that is among us by just recognizing the presence of God, there would be people converted right now, there would be healings, there would be deliverances, there would be manifestations of God if we would just recognize that what's important is to see Jesus, to know that he's revealed among us. Jesus defeated death and the grave to be back with his disciples. What do you think can keep him from being here? He went through hell to get to where they were. What do you think he'd do to get here where you are to show himself real in your life? You don't have to go out of here reaching up to touch bottom. Jesus is revealed here, and he's walked through everything that you might know his presence and life. Finally, let's take a look at verse 28, where Thomas, <clears throat> this fellow who missed the Sunday night service, got another chance. Boy, we ought to have a crowd tonight. Oh, the, the grace of the Lord, it's incredible. I read this passage, I don't know how many times, before it suddenly dawned on me. Eight days after the first revelation, Jesus came back for one man. Just for Thomas. And I thought, Lord, you are so good. We don't deserve you. Here was this doubter. He wasn't going to believe no matter what Peter and the rest said. He just wasn't going to believe. So Jesus goes, for heaven's sake, Thomas. What in the world is the matter with you? You are a knucklehead. And so Jesus arranges with all of heaven to get back to a meeting so that Thomas could believe. <laughs> now you wondered how you are going to get in here, huh? Jesus arranged it. Isn't that exciting? That he cared enough about you to arrange for you to get in here again? Hallelujah. You thought maybe it was curtains, but here you are. And here's the preacher telling you Jesus arranged it. He came back again just for you so that you might believe. <laughs> and when Jesus walks in, Thomas falls on his face and he says, My Lord and my God. Now that, my friends, is worship, and it only took about two seconds. Uh, you got the point, didn't you? My Lord and my God. A doubter became a believer like that. What changed him? One glimpse of Jesus. That's it. 
That's all he needed, just one glimpse. And he cried out, my Lord and my God. All doubts vanished. The greatest doubter attained to the fullest and firmest belief of all the disciples. Greater than Peter's statement, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, is this statement of Thomas because it's personal. My Lord and my God, it's the greatest statement a disciple ever made. My Lord and my God. Hmm. A great mind was asked, what's the greatest statement you have ever heard? The greatest declaration you have ever heard in all of your life. He said, it's this, Jesus loves me, this I know. The inquirer said, you mean the greatest statement you've ever heard is Jesus loves me? He said, no, I didn't say that. The greatest is this I know. This I know. Now Thomas could say it. This I know. Because Jesus revealed himself in that room. The story closes with the words of Jesus, Thomas, you have believed because you have seen. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Here's one of God's blessings promised to you. You have not seen with the natural eye. Very few have ever had a real vision of Jesus. But you have seen him through the eye of faith, and one day it will be transferred to sight. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus came, the doors being shut. He'll move past every obstacle just to show us that he's real. And I have a feeling he's doing that in this meeting with numbers of you that have found your way to church today. He's moving past your doubt He's moving past your pain. He's moving past all of the circumstances that have been negative leading up to this moment to do what he did for Thomas, just to reveal himself in your life. Let him have all of you. When Willie Williams received word that the governor of Missouri had commuted his sentence to 50 years imprisonment instead of death by hanging years ago, Willie Williams shouted, he cried, he kissed the telegram that had come over and over again because his death sentence had been reduced to 50 years. Here we are in church today, and we have been forgiven by Christ. We have every promise we will ever need to get us through to heaven and the eternal kingdom of God. We have every victory that we will ever in this world need. And yet we sit here like bumps on a log. We have been told that instead of death, eternally, we have been given life eternally. And we find it hard to get revved up for worship. Isn't that something? If old Willie Williams could shout and cry and kiss a telegram because of that, then I tell you, we ought to be at least a little bit like old Thomas who fell on his face before Jesus and shouted, 
my Lord and my God. You are real. And there's never, never again a time that I will have to doubt you or to walk alone. And how did Thomas die? History tells us that Thomas died by being beaten to death. They tried to get him to say, there's nothing to it. And he said, uh-uh, no way. In Hebrew, of course, or Greek. <laughs> he said, no way. And they hit him in the head with a club. And he fell. And they said, now, Thomas, tell us there's nothing to it. You don't believe. Weaker, but just as for No way. And they hit him again in the head. And they hit him again and again. And they pounded the brains out of Thomas, the disciple of Jesus Christ, literally. Because he would not deny his Lord. Boy, what one church service can do for people. Just one encounter with Jesus. Think of what hundreds of encounters with him could do. That's what drives me on and makes me preach like a madman sometimes. Because I know what just one encounter will do with the living Christ. Will you let him reveal himself to you? Be a believer, not a doubter. Never again do you need to doubt or wonder your position in Jesus Christ. Please bow in prayer with me. Lord, your word is so exciting, oh, so powerful. Let it explode in us now so that we'll never miss the appointment with God again unless we're in a hospital somewhere hooked up to life support systems and we can't break loose. Don't let us ever miss again an appointment with God because it may be the time of greatest revelation and greatest victory. Oh, Jesus. Thank you that you've come back again, that you've walked into church again to reveal yourself. We bless you. We bless you. Stand with me reverently and quietly. Nobody moving other than as I request, please. Hold steady, even though we're just a few minutes over our schedule. Doesn't start until 2.16. I know there are scores of people that God has been talking to through this preacher. I just know it in my spirit. And where you belong right now is down here at the front saying, I'm going to trust Jesus. Some of you have never received him. If you were to die today, you'd have a hard time convincing God you were ready to get into his kingdom. But if you'll just come and receive him by faith, it won't be difficult at all.
they'll have your name there and you'll just go right on in. If you've been struggling with doubts, circumstances, Jesus is here again. He's come back for you. But I want you to come and receive the prayers of a friend. And if you're coming to Christ for the first time, I want you to come so I can give you some material that will help you in your walk. And if you've not been baptized in water, I want you to come over here by the flag where there will be some booklets that will tell you what you need for tonight in order to be baptized in this evening's service. That's the next step. Okay? I want us to go back now to our bulletin where we sang, Even Now, Lord, Even Now, and sing it again. He's here, and I want you to come. Staff will be here to reach out to you. And I, I know you know who you are. God's been talking to you about coming. I want you to come right now as we sing. You receive God's salvation and God's victory. You acknowledge your need by coming. And Jesus Christ will be right there. I guarantee you. Everybody singing. You come now. Step right up.